Um, what a privilege it is to be invited here. You know, my wife and I are really so honored to be here at your new venue. Yeah, yeah it's, it's beautiful, you know, and, and it's so precious when um, we come together and worship like this, you know, where, um, you know, I believe that in the gathering of God's people, uh, something really powerful happens, right? And before that, I just want to... Um, I just want to honor Pastor Fergus as well, you know. He's been such a good friend. Uh, I remember when uh, my wife and I were going through a difficult season, and uh, he invited us to his home. He heard our heart, you know. He, he hosted us with so much warmth, so much love, and really we found so much grace in that home, and it really blessed us during that season. So, you know, church, I want to tell you that you are so fortunate to have this man as your shepherd, He's not only a good pastor, he is a good friend, he is a good man, and he's got such a heart for God's people. He's got a, such a heart for people, and he's got such a passion for God. You know, so really, you guys are so blessed to, to have him as your shepherd. If you agree, just type in amen in the chat as well. Really so awesome. He's an amazing friend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and so... Um, it's so good to be preaching here, really such a privilege and honor. And the last time I preached to a physical congregation, you know, where, where there was in-person people, was August 2020. So <laughs> it has been almost one and a half years of, um, you know, preaching only to a camera, especially for the pre-record. You know, and I just want to say that every time uh, we have gathered, whether in uh, cell groups, whether, you know, with our families and worship, something happens when there is a gathering of God's people, you know, and, and really it's so powerful. And I know that you guys are all excited, you know, in the coming weeks to also have a chance to come back and fellowship, you know, in person with, with the spiritual family here. You know, and I don't want to diminish what happens online. Don't get me wrong. I think that it has been so important what we went through digitally and in our homes in this pandemic because we have learned lessons uh, and dimensions of faith and worship and devotion that we would have never learned if we had stayed in the physical building. Let me tell you that. You know, I've got friends that tell me that they had shifts in their home that they've never seen before. Fathers were stepping up to lead their homes in such amazing and beautiful ways. I have a, a good friend, and she shared to me the other day while she was tearing that, um, that uh, her mom had just... Um, been diagnosed with cancer actually and then she was tearing and she said but it was the first time uh, this season uh, that you know it forces to be in the living room as a family together worshiping together we've never experienced that before we were holding hands we were praying for each other we were praying you know over my mom and we were just uh, you know just just together worshiping as a family she said back before the pandemic you know we, we, we tend to have different services and so her brother would go to youth service she would go to Saturday service her parents would go to Sunday main service her grandma would go to Chinese service and so it was difficult to have that, 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 that um, you know, that framework of just coming together to worship. And she was just hearing, as she said, God has moved even at such a time of such devastating news in my family. You know, we were able to just come together, stand together, worship together, pray together as a family right when it was needed. You know, and so 
a lot of powerful shifts have been happening. Another friend told me that he's been doing communion a little bit differently. Every month we do it in our church, right? The, big, the first Sunday of each month. And he said, uh, when he is holding the emblems with his wife, he calls his little children over every time. And he, he, he get, gets them in a circle and he prays over them as the head of the household. And he shows them the reverence in which he's partaking these emblems. And he shares that, that worship together with his children and they see it, you know. And he's saying, he said, you know, in the church, it's a bit different. I mean, it's not uh, necessarily better or worse, but then you follow the, the, the process that the, the, the pastor is directing at what time you, you drink together, at what time you eat together. But he said in his own time, he might just turn down the volume for a while on the TV. He brings the family together. He leads the family spiritually and he shows his reverence and his worship to the Almighty. So it has been important this season. We have learned lessons that we should never forget. We have learned lessons that we should continue to do even as churches begin to go back to reopening because when you make room for God, you know, something amazing happens. When you make room in the home, when you have an intentionality to build the spirituality that he had intended in the first place that we had forgotten because we had found all our spirituality in the church, something shifts in the home and it becomes the foundation of the faith of your family and yourself. And that is something we must never lose as we go back into the physical church. Amen? Amen. Amen. And so... Today, Pastor Fergus told me to preach on my favorite chapter, and this is a chapter that speaks to me in so many seasons of my life. It's found in 2 Kings verse 4. Some of you might be um, familiar with the stories about a Shunammite woman, a woman from Shunam, and she decides to build a room for Elisha, the man of God, in her home. And this has been the words that God has been telling me in this season, to make room for him, to make room for his spirit to come in, to give him full access and permission to move powerfully, you know, wherever uh, I am in my life, right? And so he's been telling me this um, uh, over and over to create space for him to come in and move powerfully, you know? And so um, as I look into this verse, you know, what better place to find out what it means to make room for God than a story where a woman literally builds a room for the man of God. You know, sorry, it's a bit lame, but I just realized it's direct. And this is the focus that I want to talk about today. How do we make room for God and what does it look like? Just a qualifier that I'm not going to read through the passage and the whole story because uh, of timing, but you can do that in your own time because it is a beautiful story. It doesn't just have um, straightforward miracles in it, but there, is, there are layers to it that God wants to speak to us. And so I'm going to touch on some of these key points today. All right? The first um, point that I want to talk about when we make room for God is that we have to make room for intrusion. We have to make room for intrusion. And this is a bit of a provocative word, and I apologize, it's not meant to offend anyone. But many times when we make room for the Holy Spirit and we say, God, we give you full access to do as you will, full permission to tell me how I'm supposed to align my life and walk my steps out, we're going to feel like our conveniences, our comfort, our, our schedules will be disrupted and intruded upon. And that's something I don't want to make light of. And what happens in Second Kings, you know, 
uh, uh, chapter 4, verse 10, is um, the, the woman of uh, Shunem says this to her husband. Let's make a small room on the roof and put in it a bed and a table, a chair and a lamp for him. Then he can stay whenever he comes to us. And I want to emphasize what a big and heavy decision this was. Because what's happening here? Elisha would visit the town of Shunem from time to time, all right? And uh, he would do his ministry there. And this woman would, would sometimes, you know, be ministered to, you know, and hear him. And then she, she wanted to bless him back. And she says, oh, I am a, I'm a good chef. I'm a good cook. You know, how many of you like to cook here? You know, give me a wave. You know, who, who's the chef of your home? Is it the husband or the wife who's the better chef? If it's you, just give me a wave as well. <laughs> and so um, she, was, she was a good cook, right? And she would invite the, the man of God over to host him. And then as time went on, she said, but he stops by, you know, regularly. How about we open a room for him? How about we build a room for him? And it is a heavy decision. Let me tell you why. Because in the ancient Israelite culture, hospitality had a different standard to what we are used to today. It was something that the whole community would have to take responsibility for. And if, let's say, someone didn't take care of some, a visitor properly, the whole community is held responsible because that's how heavy that, that, that responsibility host and to be hospitable would be. And if you read through the Old Testament, you'll find uh, pockets where you realize how important it is. So when she's saying, I'm going to make room for the man of God, she's actually saying, anytime he visits, I'm going to drop everything. I'm going to rearrange my schedule. I'm going to make sure that I host him in a way where if he comes to my home, the culture of that day was he gets to enjoy anything of my possessions. He has access to everything. You know, he gets to fully enjoy any pleasure, any comfort, which is part of my possession. And she was making that decision, you know, for her, her and her husband to be disrupted anytime the man of God wanted to come. Anytime he would have full access, anytime he could come in. And you could see even the, the permanence of her decision. It wasn't like she cleaned out some old storeroom for a temporary season. I've got a bit of space here for a while, but you know, once, once I need to use it, then I think you need to find other arrangements. She builds a custom fit room on the roof and specifically pays attention to how to furnish it for the man of God to be comfortable to do what he needs to. You know, the, the bed is there, the, the, the table is there, the lamp is there, the chair is there. Every detail is, is for the convenience of the person that you want to host and not for yourself. And that is very, very heavy when we make room for God. Are we willing to inconvenience ourselves and say, God, whatever you want to say to me, whatever you want to disrupt I would like you to do it, and I know it's worth it. That is a very heavy decision to make because I don't know how many of you have ever had a roommate before. Give me a wave, anybody in, on the online as well. Have you had a roommate in college maybe? And I don't know, I've heard some horror stories, you know, like it was your best friend. And then you decided, oh, it would be a good idea to rent a room near our college because we are such good buddies. And then when they end up in the same room, you start realizing, oh my goodness. <laughs> Man, I never want to live with this person again. I actually don't know whether I want to be friends with this person ever again. You know, and, and it's, it's that difficult. When you come into proximity to someone that you give access to your life in that way, it will inconvenience you incredibly, and it will cramp your style in ways that you never imagined. You know, when I went for a, even a missions trip two years ago to Sarawak, I had a very good friend 
Oh, sorry, I I'm still good friends with him, fortunately. <laughs> and we went for eight days, eight nights, sorry, um, to Sarawak, and we visited the longhouses, you know, very rugged. We would take the four-wheel drive into the, the jungle, and we would stay in very rugged longhouses. And he didn't realize what he was getting into, and I'm not talking about the ruggedness or the ministry. He didn't realize that every night he wouldn't be able to sleep, all right? Because I, I, I didn't realize I, I snored because my wife is so kind that she didn't uh, point it out every night but also because she, she falls asleep before me and uh, she doesn't, probably doesn't realize. But he couldn't sleep for eight nights. And the ninth day when he flew back, he was having a migraine and he's like, Roger, I'm going to sleep for the next week, you know, and I never want to sleep in the same room with you again for the missions trip, you know. <laughs> And even uh, Pastor Fergus, Athalia, I don't know if you guys remember this lunch conversation. We, we sat over lunch and, and then we were talking about anticipating our first child, right? And, and then remember we were saying, um, you know, it'd be nice to continue to go for mama once in a while. You remember the conversation? And we could just bring our babies. I mean, not every time we would go, but once in a while we should join our friends. We shouldn't let the baby disrupt our lives so much. Right, and then uh, we had our child, as, as Thalia mentioned, six weeks from each other, and we didn't hear from each other for a year. <laughs> because these beautiful, uh, this tiny little people had invaded our lives, beautifully intruded upon our lives, turned it upside down, and everything changed. Everything changed. And that's from one tiny little person. And now each of us have three small little children and, and, and our lives are no longer our own. And that was already obvious when we gave our lives to God. But you know, when we have children, it's another dimension of giving up your lives because everything is for their growth. Everything is for their convenience. Everything you're thinking about their well-being. Amen? Parents here, just give me an amen. Yeah. And so... Really, when we make room for God, He's going to sometimes turn our lives upside down. You know, and, and when we say, have your way, do as you will, He's going to pull us out of our comfort zones. And as you started up this new church plant, He's going to pull you out of your comfort zones to reach the lost, to carry the missional heart of God, Amen. to step out in faith, to burn with fire for those who desperately need the presence of God and the love of God. And it's not going to be comfortable but are you ready for God to intrude on your convenience? Can you just type in right now, get ready for intrusion? You know, and bump someone on the shoulder next to you, if you maybe not, not, not physically, but you can say, get ready for intrusion. Amen. The second point I want to talk about is, is something that sounds a little bit contradictory. You know, so I have to be a bit careful about this. It's a bit of an oxymoron. It says, make room for heartache. Make room for heartache. When you make room for God, you also make room for heartache because many times we think that when we follow God, things will go so much smoother. But as I look through the Bible, every step of the way, the people who are faithful, the people who are following God, they were not spared from the heartaches of life. And so this woman of Shunem, what happened was she had a, a son that she, she, she loved so much, right? And, and then... 
before this, she had actually told uh, the prophet Elisha, as well as his servant, I don't want anything from you, I just want to bless you. But then they discerned that she was childless and that she wanted a, a son. And so when he prayed for her before this, there was a miracle where she gave birth to a son and she was so ecstatic and so fulfilled. But then as he grew up, then he suddenly came, had a headache and he, he basically passed away in her arms. So she desperately rushes to the man of God. You know, and, and looks for him and hunts him down. And then she says this, Oh, didn't, did I ask you for a son, my Lord? I had told you that I didn't want anything from you. Didn't, didn't I tell you don't raise my hopes because right now I'm feeling more pain you know, than when I was childless. Why did you set me up for this heartache? Why did you set me up for so much pain that she couldn't even take you know, because of how, how hurtful it was? You know, and this, this, this woman was just, was just uh, desperate, even as she called, you know, uh, Elisha back to her home to, to see what he could do. And time after time in the Bible, we see that, in, um, that the characters in the Bible go through incredible hardship. You look at Job. Look at Job. He went through so much hardship, and not only did he go through the hardship, he didn't even know why he went through the hardship. If you read it from start to finish, at the very end of the story, Job still doesn't know any of the reason, any of the dialogue between God and Satan, but he had to face that hardship as well. Look at the early church and the persecution that they had to go through. You know, look at the Old Testament prophets who had direct access to God's word. And they was, we were saying it to the Israelites who would never hear them, who would throw them into wells and cisterns and pits, you know, because they didn't want to hear what they had to say. The people of God were not spared from heartache. And even for myself, there are things that I question God. There are things where I wonder, God, why, why did you have to do this? Why don't you intervene you know, I'm following you hard, I'm believing, I'm praying, why don't you heal? You know, and, and, and I just want to share something personal. I think it's a, this is one of the things that when you, when you visit a church, you can go a little bit more personal because, um, you know, uh, yeah, it's an away game. <laughs> and so I'm going to share something personal today. And it's something I've struggled with my father for, for a long time. For 23 years, he's had severe bipolar depression, very bad uh, clinical depression you know and he would swing to a depressed state and he would swing to a manic stage where you know and I'll explain a little bit more about it when he's in the low stage sometimes we can't pull him out of bed for two weeks except just to go to the washroom or to grab a bite he can't even bring himself to come out of bed and he would have these terrible anxiety attacks as well where, you know, at the time when he was still working, uh, because of his condition, he is now retired, but at the time when he was still working, when he was driving home one day, he had an anxiety attack as well, you know, and, and we couldn't reach him for four hours. And I remember it so clearly because, you know, we were calling him and he wasn't picking up. And four hours later, he picked up and he said, I'm at the side of the highway, I'm inside of the road, I can't do anything, I can't function. So he said, just wait there, we're going to come and find you to bring you home. And so when he's low, he, he's, he, it's so difficult for the family to deal with. But then it's even harder when he's high, when he is on overload in terms of energy and in terms of um, 
you know, uh, the way that he would, his, his mood would be always at a 200%, at an unsustainable level. He, he, he would sleep less than two hours every night. He would wake up at 4 a.m. To, to, to run 10 k.m. Before, you know, he, before he starts his day. And he would be so rude and arrogant without knowing it, without any self-awareness, without any filters. He would be shouting at people he met on the road. He would be shouting at my mom in public. He would be picking fights and arguments without realizing what he was doing. And sometimes at night, I would talk to him and he said, I, I messed up today, didn't I? I, 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 I said things I shouldn't have. I argued with my friends during badminton and said things I shouldn't have. And he would, he would be so grieved as he went, tried to go to sleep. And this was a cycle that went on for 23 years over and over and over again. And we would be praying for healing every time. And, and every time he, he begins to slip to the other end of the spectrum, he, he looks like he's turning for the better. And we pray that he will stop around the middle where normal people will function. But each time he will keep swinging onwards, further on for six months down, six months up. And it was difficult to keep praying, you know, to keep ministering. There were times where I would, I would go to him and I would say, uh, Papa, would you want to come up to the altar with me? And I would pray with him at the altar, you know, and we would believe for healing. And, and, and I would see his tears. And it was, it was something that continually uh, breaks me, even up to today. No matter what happens, no matter what victory or breakthrough I see in ministry, I will go home and I will, I will be broken before God. And I say, God, would you heal my father? And I believe that his full healing will come in due time. But it's become a very real thing, a very aware thing that even if we follow God faithfully, even if my wife and I are in full time and giving our whole lives and our hearts to, to God, we are still going to experience incredible hardship and we shouldn't expect anything different. God never promises that the storms won't come, but he promises that he will be there with us in the storm. God never promises that the fire won't come, but he promises to be there in the fire with us. And that is what we hold on to. Amen. Can you just type in an amen if you agree with that today? And so for the third point I want to talk about, you know, it it, let's bring it to a more positive angle, is to make room for miracles. To make room for miracles. Because when we follow God, let me tell you, miracles will follow us as well. It might not happen in the way that we expect or in the timing that we desire, but as you assess year after year of just chasing after God hard, you're going to find pockets of miracles that would have never happened otherwise. You know, and so in this passage, what happens in verse 35, Elisha turned away and walked back and forth in the room and then got on the bed and stretched out on him once more. The boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. And this is relevant for me because it reveals that our God is not only, um, only a God that, that comes in and not, uh, that, that is not only a life of heartache, but our God, no matter what, will be a God of miracles. He is a God of miracles, and because we follow Him, we will be able to encounter His holy presence and His divine miracles. All right, and so the son that the woman had lost had come back to life. He was resurrected. 
you know, and, and we will see so many miracles when you follow God. And I want to encourage you and remind you of that, that that's never going to change as you follow hard after God. I think my family and I have seen so many miracles, you know, especially when we decided to set aside our lives to go into uh, the pastoral vocation full time. And especially in the financial area, God has provided so many miracles. When I decided to go into Bible school, it was a very interesting time and decision because uh, right at that, that time, my wife was heavily pregnant with our third child. <laughs> and, you know, there was a mortgage. There was two other children that we were supporting. And, and she was already in full time as a pastor. And so, you know, we were trying to make ends meet properly and then God says would you take this step of faith would you believe that I will see you through and sustain you and I turned to my wife and I said okay I've calculated all the data all the statistics how many of you are the spreadsheet person you know where you put all your budget in the spreadsheet and you make sure that the percentages are good you know and, and you spend this much every month I'm that type of person in the family and I told her okay I have 10 months of fixed deposits that were that will cover 10 months of our expenses when I give up my income and um, and go into Bible college you know and then I said but the course is is supposed to take three years so we have 10 months and this is our step of faith and this is this looks irrational but we heard God clearly we had people in church come up to us and ask us you know uh, Roger aren't you being irresponsible in your decision don't you have a primary responsibility to your family and for someone who's so mathematical and calculative like me to get my ducks in order you know it was definitely very painful but God said yes it is the right time take a step of faith and God saw us through and more like he provided in ways we could never imagine and I calculate every month and mathematically it doesn't make sense but when I finish my course years later I still had balance left in the bank and I was like God how does this even happen you know can you just say praise God because wow what an amazing miracle working God for someone that needs everything in order I needed to let go and see God change the math you know, in a divine way that I could not calculate, I could not make sense of. And all I could say was, God, it is you. God, only you can see us through. And even this year, we have seen those miracles happen in our life as well. You know, and, um, and the pain that we face, sometimes we don't know the reason. Like I mentioned just now, Job didn't even know the reason up to the end of the story. But let me tell you, other times... God will give you a glimpse of the purpose behind it. God will give you a glimpse of the pockets of miracles that He's working in the background while you're waiting for the, 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 the big miracle to happen. And if you were to open your heart to it, you'll be able to see what happens. You know, sometimes from the pain, the breakthrough begins to come, you know. And sometimes from the point of brokenness, that's where breakthrough happens. Because even in the Shunammite woman, you see that it was the son who died and caused her so much grief even you said, Elisha, why did you even pray for a son for me? I did not ask for him. This is the, the level of anguish that I'm facing. From that pain, there was the joy that came from his resurrection. And I'm sure from then on, the, the faith level of that family and of that woman would have risen to a level that was unshakable in the sovereign God and in his power. Amen. 
And even for, for me, as I shared just now about my father, you know, I don't see the big picture. I don't see the big reasons. But I've been able to see snippets of how God has been moving. And I want to share a bit about these to you, very honestly, very vulnerably, once again, you know, away, away game. And uh, the first thing is, it's kept me humble, or rather more humble than I would have been. Uh, <laughs> and and it's, it's true because as a pastor, it's so easy for pride to creep in. It doesn't look like it, but it's so easy because every day we're helping people. Every day, you know, we are basking in their gratefulness, even though we don't want to, and we say we don't want it. When they're like, oh, thank you, Roger. Thank you so much. Like, you're like, yeah. <laughs> and it's easy to, to, be, to fall into that. When you see big things happen, big events, big concerts, camps where God moves in ways where, where people are, are getting slain at the altar and, and just receiving that encounter with God, you want to go home and be like, yeah, I did a good job. And it's so easy, easiest as a pastor, even uh, easier than when I was in the marketplace as a manager or, you know, it, it doesn't compare to the temptation of a pastor to be proud. But going home, recognizing that I'm still praying in brokenness for my father and it still breaks me so much. Getting on my knees on the carpet, that's what keeps my feet on the ground. It's made me a little less arrogant, just a little bit and a little more broken, which is what I need as a pastor, in my, in my journey as a pastor. Even for my father, I've seen pockets of miracles. In his dr quiet desperation when he's down, I've seen him you know, turn to the Bible in desperation and just read and read and read. When we go on hikes, I've heard him just under his breath praying in tongues. And I didn't see this hunger and desperation before he, when, he was, when he was healthy. And God is turning his heart in desperation, you know. And um, not only that, he's starting to appreciate my mom. Through every cycle, he learns a little bit more. Through every cycle, he realizes that when he's high, my mom's the only one that will tolerate him and try to po point out and make him aware of what's happening so that he doesn't have to keep jumping into these pits, pitfalls, you know. And when he's down, she's the one that nurtures him with unconditional love and, and nurses him back to, to a healthier place. And he's learned to appreciate her in ways that he would have never appreciated her before. And the, the thing that really hits me is that my children have been impacted as well. Because I can talk to them so openly about my father's mental illness. And there's no stigma for my young kids. They see it as a normal thing. And they're able to reach out with such compassion and empathy that would not have been possible otherwise. Because firsthand, they see my father unable to get out of bed. Firsthand, they see my father just sitting there unable to smile. And even when he smiles, you can tell that the rest of his face is not smiling. It's not real. He's not able to feel the joy. And then we would tell them every time we go over, which is quite often, go and hug grandpa, hug him long and hard and let him know you love him. And they will go and just hug him and hang on to him. And after dinner, we will say, go take him by the hand, take him out for a walk, get him some fresh air. And they will hold him by the hand and they will say, grandpa, let's go, let's go. It's not a stigma to them. Mental illness is just something that is very real. And they're able to pour out this compassion, this empathy that I want my children to grow up with. And so God moves even before the big miracles happen. God is working in the background. We just need to open our hearts and make room 
for him. Amen. The final point that I want to talk about, and, um, you know, my most important point that I really love, actually, is this, that when we make room for God, we make room for the story writer. We make room for the story writer. And I don't want to sound cliched about this, but I want to talk a bit about this, because in verse, uh, I want to just share that I cheated a bit when Pastor Vegas asked me to, 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 to take it from one chapter. This story is very weird. There's a short story in chapter 4, and then it jumps to chapter 8 out of nowhere. Like, you don't hear about the woman for the longest time, and she shows up for another short paragraph in, uh, in chapter 8. And this is what happens, okay? Let me just read it out first. Just as Gehazi was telling the king how Elisha had restored the dead to life, the woman whose son Elisha had brought back to life came to appeal to the king for her house and land. Gehazi said, This is the woman, my lord, the king, and this is her son whom Elisha restored to life. I want to give some context to this passage because every time I read it in my devotional life, every time I come back to, to it, it wrecks me. It makes me cry because I begin to catch a glimpse of God, that He's not only a God of miracles, but He's a God of our destinies. He's the God of our story. And what happened here is that, you know, the woman had to leave uh, Shunem and Israel uh, because there was a great famine in the land. And so she brought her family to a Philistine land for many, many years. And when she came back, the king had reclaimed her land, all of her land, you know. And so she needed to go plead her case before the king for, to, to, to claim back that she has the right to, to own this land. And she doesn't know the result. She's probably in fear and trembling. Am I even going to get my land back? This, la this Israel has been, you know, devastated by famine. Would the king, you know, use reasons that we had left it unattended, not taken responsibility for it? Maybe he'll assign us some little piece of land at the side somewhere because of what is happening. She's probably got these fears in her mind as she walks into the king's uh, hall, right? And then what happens is the king was actually having a, discussion a conversation with Gehazi who was uh, Elisha's servant right and he's like I want to hear more about the the stories of of um, of Elisha's miracles I want to hear more of the stories encourage me inspire me and so Gehazi is just telling the king about this woman and her son where there was this miracle of resurrection from death to life and at that precise moment she walks in with her son and I don't even, I can't even imagine what happened in the room because Gehazi must have been stunned. His, his mouth must have been dropped, uh, you know, completely agape. And he's like, oh, king, this is, this is the woman I'm talking about. This is the son. This is the son that was brought back to life. This is exactly what I'm saying. This is the family that, that the miracle happened to. And how surprised would the king and even the woman and the son have been? It was such an incredible coming a full circle of the woman's story. It's not just she made room, there was a miracle. Okay, it encourages full stop. This gives us a glimpse that when she made room for the man of God, for God to move, God began to write and rewrite her whole story. God begins to redeem everything of the past even, to link it to the present and the future as a masterpiece of what he's writing for your life. God begins to intricately embroider and paint this beautiful masterpiece and says, this is how this is going to link to this and this. This is how this purpose is going to link to this. 
and you would have never imagined it. You thought it was a simple story where God would just do a miracle because, you know, decided to, to bless the man of God. Then a miracle happened, full stop. But not, not. God begins to give us a, a short window, a small window that says He is in control, that He is sovereign. And so it's really my favorite part of the story, even though it's not in chapter 4, you know. And if you read on in the passage, the king is so ast astonished and so touched that he tells his guards, return to this woman her land. And not only return to this woman her land, but calculate the value of everything we have harvested from her land in all the years that she was gone in the famine and pay her back in full. Everything that she felt had been lost everything that had been devastated in the famine, everything that had been taken away, everything that, that, that had been broken and shattered came a full circle. And the king said, pay it back in full. And that is how God redeems our stories. That is how God brings it together beautifully. I'm going to end with this uh, story. And... Uh, I'd just like to invite up the, um, the worship leader, you know, just to, to play a little bit in the background. And this is not my story. I've asked permission to share my wife's story, her full-time story, if you guys are okay with that, so that you know a little bit more about her as well. When she decided to go full-time, when she felt God speak to her, she went full-time, I think about four or five years before I did. Yeah, about five years before I did. And so when she went full-time, it was a real struggle. She was in a, a, a job that was, she was doing very well. In 10 months, she had been promoted twice. And, you know, the bosses loved her. She was on the fast track to, to really uh, being one of the key people in that company. And so she gave up a good income. She gave up a good uh, um, job, a good place that she loved. And not only that, her, her parents were, were quite disappointed in her. I remember those conversations when we sat on the dinner table and the, the father would tell her, you know, the father would tell her, um, uh, now in this time and, and, and day, we need two people who are working and making good income in order to provide for the family. Don't you want your children to have opportunities? Don't you want to provide for your family in the way that they deserve to be provided for? And her parents were very disappointed in her. And I remember her being so crushed, you know. Every time she reflected on her decision, hearing from God to go full-time, but yet wanting the blessing of her parents. And I remember a few months later, her mom called her to have a personal chat. And this is what the mom said. I want to tell you something, Sarah, she said. Um, when I was, when, 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 before you were born, I had, I had your, your brother. So the mom has two children, all right, just Sarah and her older brother. And she had a lot of complications having... Um, her, her, um, her son, right? Where when she gave birth, the doctors told her, you have a very serious condition where it will make it so that it will be very difficult in order for you to conceive and have another child. And this really crushed her mom because her mom really wanted a daughter as well. And so at around that time, a bit later on, uh, Sarah's uncle had just accepted Christ. He had just gone to church through a friend and accepted Christ and he, he invited uh, the mom to come to church and she said this fine i will come i will follow your god i will believe in your god if he gives me a uh, baby 
all right? And this is before she was a believer, you know, so don't, please don't put God to the test that way. <laughs> but she said, yeah, I'm going to say a prayer now. I'm going to uh, pray for a baby. And if your God is true, if he is really true, he's going to give me a baby. He's going to give me the daughter that I long for. And lo and behold, she became pregnant, um, right, with Sarah. And then she said that when she, did, when she gave birth to Sarah healthily, you know, and everything went smoothly. She told God this, God, I believe in you, and I want to dedicate this baby to you. I want to dedicate this child to you. And then she said, when you, I kept quiet all these years, hoping that it would never happen. <laughs> but then when you told us, you know, months ago, it, it was, we had, to, we had to process it. We had to process the disappointment. We had hoped that you would, you know, uh, help to provide for your family better financially. But God has told me to let go, and I give you my blessing. How amazing is that? How powerful is that? Because not only do miracles happen, but it begins to show that God had his hand and, and his, 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 his story writing on Sarah's life from the beginning until the end. Before she was born, he was already writing her story. And it took for her to take that step of faith in making room for God to say, you know, to unlock what the story that had happened before that started from the time before she was born. Even to her mom's salvation story, even to her family's salvation story. And this is how amazing our God is. Our God is not only a miracle worker, he weaves our destinies. He works through every heartache. He redeems every trauma. And He's the only one that can redeem it in a way that links it to our present and our future. We need to not only see Him as a miracle worker, we need to see Him as a sovereign story writer. S sovereign master weaver. And so I want to encourage you today. I feel like my role is just to encourage you to make room for God in a fresh way, to not be afraid. Yes, it's going to be inconvenient. Yes, it's going to be hurtful at times. Yes, it's going to be so challenging. But God is present in the midst of it, and it is worth it. It is worth it when you, could, when you can catch a glimpse of how God is writing your story and writing your destiny. It is completely worth it when you put your life in God's hands. Amen. So before we go into the song, if it's okay, I'd like to just invite my wife up just to pray over everyone today, to pray over today's um, topic. Would you just lift your hands and just receive this prayer of blessing even as you make a choice to make room for God? just like all of us to just respond to the word of God this morning and if you felt your heartstrings tugged when when the word was shared about a miracle about making room for God I just ask you to put place your hand over your heart this morning as a response to God and say God I want to make room for you I am searching and seeking for that miracle you know, and I felt this morning that, that just as Elisha has breathed life into that little boy, I felt 
this morning that there were a lot of dreams that were broken, that a lot of hopes that were shattered. A lot of things has happened in your life today and you are also, you are also praying for that miracle and for that breakthrough. And I want you to know that God can breathe afresh into every situation that you have this morning. And as you place your hand over your heart this morning, I'm going to pray for you. And I want you to receive it into your heart that God will breathe a fresh life into every broken dream, to every shattered hope, to every heart that is weary, that is tired, that God can breathe afresh again. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Father, I want to thank you. I want to thank you, God. Father, for your word today that reminds us that you are today a miracle-working God. Amen. The God that has breathed life, O oh God, into soul, to those with empty dreams and shattered hopes, God, you can breathe it into life. And today, as your people say, God, I choose to trust you. God, it is beyond my control. All these situations that seem impossible, every health diagnosis, every job that you thought you could get, every family situation, every relationship that was passed and that was broken, God, you can restore it and you can breathe into life. And as your people take a step of obedience today and say, God, you take over. Lord, I want to make room for you. Lord, I'm giving you permission to intrude into my life and do what you need to and do that deeper work. And Lord, I desire for that miracle to come past. I desire, Father, for you to take the pen and write the story of my life. So Father, I pray for your people today. Lord, God, that they will be refreshed, even right now, Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Father, let your presence and your spirit reside in every home that is represented today, every heart that makes room for you today on site in this church and those who are tuning in at home. God, let your presence be so real that you touch every portion of their heart and of their being. Lord, bring a fresh fire, a fresh anointing upon every household today. God, that you breathe fresh life. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. And I pray that from the decisions today, oh God, that there will be a testimony upon testimonies of your goodness and your faithfulness that will, that will be shared from generations to generations to come. Father, that will be shared to their children for this church family. God, as this Sungai Bulo, SIBKL at Sungai Bulo, as they come together today, and make room for you. Father, it will be a, a stone, a cornerstone, Father, a milestone for every believer in, in shouting your goodness and your faithfulness and the miracle working God that you are. So Father, I commit this church and this family into your hands, let you take over, let you reside in every heart that makes room for you today. We bless your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Church, even as we remain in this attitude, 
of of worship and as we close i just want us to to just to just remain in this word for just another moment i just want to pray and minister to some of us here who are here physically as well as for all of you guys um i just really want to honor pastor roger uh, for the word that he's released and 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 just and just lead us right now lead us right now in this way so my friends i believe that for some of us we heard the word today let me turn this down a little i think i i can be quite loud yeah you know, friends, I believe that as we heard the word today, some of us, this word that we heard today, just reminded us of some of the miracles. We heard about the miracles and, and you're, you're in a purple patch in your life. Things are happening. The lines are falling in pleasant places. They actually are. And, 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 and things are, 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 you're getting good breaks. And, and you're thankful and maybe you're wondering, oh, is this going to run out? You know, maybe some days you, you, you just catch a little bit of awareness and you, and you get a little bit nervous like, oh, when, when does this purple patch end? Will, will it end? You know, uh, will, will, it, will it stop? Uh, will, will, will I so-called run out of luck? You know, and sometimes we don't mean to think this way because we know that our God does not, uh, does not lead us this way. But then sometimes because we've heard so many other voices, we get scared. We get scared and we think that, oh, will, will it? Am I withdrawing from like some kind of future grace? You know, and am, am, I, am I getting it too good right now? And if that is you, I want you to know that God is your story writer. And the breaks that you are, that you are so-called enjoying right now are not isolated. They are not meaningless. And they are certainly not an indication that you're withdrawing some, from some kind of future grace. Grace, by definition, uh, uh, is, is given out of God's love for you. It is not something you're withdrawing from some other time. I just, I just felt that for some of you, inadvertently, you, you find yourself thinking that way. Um, I, I want to dispel that. But more important than that, I want you to know that the grace you do enjoy has meaning. It is part of a larger string of, 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 of things happening in your life and it has deep meaning and purpose and it joins together to form what God is doing in your life. And this, on this point, I want to bring us and minister to you as well. If the reverse is happening and you're experiencing heartache, point number two and point number three, right? Heartache and miracles. If you're experiencing heartache and you're struggling and you're trying to make sense of it because you feel that it's just one thing after another and that and that you just can't get a good break and that every time you seem to be able to pull your life together and it's coming together and you're working so hard on it and then it just keeps falling apart, falling apart, falling apart and you're crying out to God and saying, God, why? Why does it, why can't I just pull together a good run, a few months, a few weeks even? Can you give me a good year? And you're crying out and I want you to know that if you're struggling and you're experiencing heartache, also, those heartaches are not isolated. Those heartaches are also part of, they're strung together like beads in a story. And this story is God's beautiful life story for you. It has meaning. It fits into the larger thing. And maybe we can't see it right now. The Shunammite woman could not see it at that time. But my friends, do you not see it now by chapter 8? Do you not see that if the sun if her son did not experience that death and then that resurrection back to life, years later, when she had lost her home, there would be no story to tell. 
and her home, her land would not have been restored to her. Gehazi would have no narrative to, 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 to bring before the king. And she would just be like one of the many thousands of people, her peers, displaced and homeless, landless. But because she went through that heartache, it makes sense. Now we look back from chapter 8, we look back to chapter 4. It makes sense. God, now I know why her son had to die. And the heartache, now you want to say, was it worth it? Of course you will say worth it. But in that moment, did she think it was worth it? It was painful. It was painful and, 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 I, and we don't make light of the pain you go through right now. I just want you to see that you, though you cannot see ahead, but God has given us patterns in Scripture that remind us that up ahead in the distance in your proverbial four chapters further in your life, there is a reason why you're going through this heartache and that reason, the heartache, leads you to a breakthrough in the future. You can't see it, but God sees it. And when we look into Scripture, we see it happening in the lives of others. So if you're going through a really rough patch right now, I just want to minister hope into your hearts, to enough hope to know that there is a redemptive purpose to your pain. Your pain in Jesus is not meaningless. Pain outside of Jesus can be meaningless. It can just be, it can just be pain after pain. But pain in Christ always leads to resurrection. It always leads to salvation. It always leads to the redemption of life because all our pain in Christ is a semblance of the pain He experienced on the cross. And that was the most painful pain, yet the most redemptive one as well. So I just really want to honour Pastor Roger and Sarah Jane, Pastor Sarah, for, for bringing the word and praying for us today because I've been blessed. I've been blessed. And, I, and, and there, there are pains in my own life I can't share with you in detail, but I can tell you some, some of these hopes just keep crashing and keep crashing. And I'm sure for you, you feel you, you have experienced similar things. But my friends, there is a light ahead. There is a light ahead. Let's pray. And if that's you, I want you to type in pray into your Zoom chat, right? Just type in pray and someone will break out into a prayer room with you. And if you're if you're here physically and you want prayer, just lift up your hands and we're going to pray for you from here, okay? Okay, so if you're online, just type in pray into your Zoom chat. Someone will break out into a room with you and pray. Let me pray for you, okay? If not, you can just open up your hands. Off screen is okay. You know, as a posture to receive. Father, we thank you. Father, we thank you, Lord God, that through every miracle, you are showing us that you are not just randomly giving so-called good luck, but you are giving, you're, you're stringing a story together. And in every heartache, the same. That, you, that we're not just experiencing random experiences of pain and suffering. It is not as the world seems to tell us that everything is just bad or that, or that bad things just randomly happen. They don't. But you, our God, are in charge. You are sovereign. And when we say, Lord, you are sovereign, that thank you, Jesus, that you infuse meaning into joy and pain. That joys are not just hedonistic, where we just, just go and have fun for the max because tomorrow uh, eat, drink, and, and, and lift it up, right? Because tomorrow we die. It is not like that, church. So, Father, thank you that it is not like that. But our greatest joys have meaning. Our deepest sorrows have redemptive futures 
buried deep inside them. And so, Father, we thank you that every day, as for all of us who are going through a really rough patch, help us to know that four chapters into the future, you have a plan for us a plan for redemptive power for us. So Father, we thank you. We give you thanks. I just pray the Holy Spirit, you minister to every single one of us who really needs it very much right now. Minister deep into our hearts and put a, 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 a seed of hope deep into us, Lord God, to know that the Christ whom we are in, Lord God, is, is worth staying on and staying in. So Father, to your name be all praise. Now, church, may the love of God, may the love of God our Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with each and every one of us until we meet again. And all of God's people, shout aloud, Amen. Amen. Amen.